formative moment. It's not really that special a story, but the there was that uh, HBO special. I think it was the reunion uh, tour, and there was an HBO special. And I watched it with my parents, and I was 12 or 13 at the time. It's the first time I saw anyone perform like that. He did... Um, where he introduced the the band in in a in a 20 minute I don't even know how long the rendition was of a 10th Avenue freeze out and it was just so different just the idea of seeing him live I became obsessed I went to some tours with my parents and then when I went to college I started just going by myself to every show that I could go to everyone and welcome to a new episode of Set Listing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music and mostly his fans. I am your host Jesse Jackson and joining to me today is a new friend. Uh, we have Evan Macy on the phone. Evan, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you? I am great. So uh, tell us a little about yourself, Evan. Uh, well, I uh, I live just outside of Philly in one of the suburbs near King of Prussia. Uh, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, Amish country. Uh, I went to Temple University uh, where I got degrees in political science and journalism and uh, via ESPN, the New Britain Herald, Metro Philadelphia. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm the sports editor at phillyvoice.com um, and I also, um, at 33 years old, I guess I'm a very young Bruce Head, Fanatic, whatever you guys call yourselves, Spring Nut, all those boxes off, Uh, big music fan, big sports fan, and I like talking about both. Well, I am excited. I am looking forward. We're going to we're going to talk a little uh, Bruce. We're going to talk a little NFL, even though um, our Cowboys and Eagles are not doing very well this season. (laughs) So, but uh, as we're recording this, it's the day after the Eagles did win against the Cowboys. So well done, uh, Eagles, uh, though it was not exactly beautiful game. It was ugly. I, w- I was there last night and it was, it's nice because uh, I work from home since March. I've been working from home. This yeah. is like the third or fourth live event I've gotten to go to. So just like I was sucking it all in, just really excited to have you know, other peers. Uh, oh, I bet. Off in person. So it, it was nice. And the Eagles winning was a bonus for sure. I'm so, I always like to start it with, we're going now. How are you doing in the pandemic? Uh, believe it or not. So I guess the one thing I left out about myself, I'm a, I'm a big golfer. I'm a, I'm a golf fanatic uh, okay. I'm a at, a, at a club near my house. And um, with my, with the state of the world right now uh, and the work from home, I've, found ways uh, to work on the golf course. I'm very uh, shifty and uh, I guess I'm proud of that. Sometimes if there's breaking news, I'll pull over under a tree, let a group play through. I'll work on, uh, with a hot spot in the golf cart. So uh, I actually looked the other day, I've played 84 rounds of golf since the pandemic started, which is, I don't know if I'm proud or embarrassed, ashamed, but my golf game has gotten really good. Um, I've spent a lot of quality time with my wife. We've done renovations around the house, our kitchen, our patio. So 
I've made the most of it. I miss my family. I haven't seen them in almost a year. Uh, most of them live in Florida, New York, California. But, uh, you know, uh, there's silver linings and I'm making the best of it. So um, I am not a golfer, but I am a podcaster. And I have recorded a blank ton of podcasts during the pandemic. Um, in in um uh, we went, um, I do, I run an, I work in a call center. And so uh, about the middle of March here in Texas, we shut down and we did not go back in the office till the end of May. So for two months, you know, I was in the, uh, I was working from home and then we've been back in the office since May with limited staff. And then about in October, we went to full staff, but, um, I have done, in fact, you know, my, um, my wife always says, she can tell how stressed I am by the number of podcasts I do that I, that the more stressed I am, the more I do podcasts sure. and, and everything, because it's just such a creative outlet for me. So um, I think playing golf is better physically. It's for better exercise than sitting on my chair, talking to people from around the world, but good for you. It's a good time to have a hobby. That's yeah, absolutely. Um, so I always like to start at the beginning. So talk to me. Uh, you mentioned growing up there in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, was your family musical? Were, was there a lot of music in the house as you were a kid? Yeah. So my parents are both uh, Long Islanders, um, Jews from Long Island, everybody in my family, both sides. And growing up, uh, my mom has great Billy Joel stories. She was like the Long Island president of the Billy Joel fan club in the 70s and 80s. She was in the front row for all his homestands at MSG. And uh, so she was a big Billy Joel fan. And my dad was a big Springsteen fan. And he went to the University of Maryland. And he, I think he saw his first show was uh, the Darkness Tour while he was in college okay. uh, in, in Maryland. And so growing up, those were that's what was on in the car okay <laughs> Billy Joel and there was Bruce Springsteen and I love both I've seen Billy Joel a ton and the only really knock I have against him not that there's anything wrong with Billy Joel but he's kind of resting on his laurels it's like the uh, River of Dreams 1993 and he hasn't really had an impulse to create more music which is fine but the fact that Bruce is so productive and has been during my adult life, um, there's just been, you know, the, the, I'm sure all the listeners know of like the, the wonderful cycle where you have new music and then you have tour. Exactly. You have at the end of the tour where he decides, all right, we, we did this set list a bunch. Well, anything could happen. Yeah. And then he goes into hibernation and then it starts again. And I think it's just the live element of Bruce that has just completely changed my life. And I guess my biggest formative moment it's not really that special a story but the there was that uh hbo special i think it was the reunion uh tour and there was an hbo special live in new york right and i watched it with my parents and i was 12 or 13 at the time it's the first time i saw anyone perform like that he did um uh, where he introduced the the band in in a in a 20 minute I don't even know how long the rendition was of a 10th Avenue freeze out yeah. and the uh, light of day where he's kind of like rapping off in the middle of the song. And it was just so different. Just the idea of seeing him live, I became obsessed. I went to some tours with my parents. And then when I went to college, I 
started just going by myself to every show that I could go to. What, what I love about that story, Evan, is uh, one of the podcasts I've been doing is um, Songs of Your Life. And specifically because the sports station here in Dallas, um, The Ticket, um, you know, used to do a segment where they did um, biggest show coming to town. And it just gave the morning show a chance to talk about all the concerts coming in and they would debate on what's the best show that week. And once lockdown happened, they couldn't do that. So they came up with like 11 questions, the bands of your life. What's a band you hate? What's a band you think's overrated? What's the band that made you fall in love with music? And um, and my son said, you ought to do a Springsteen twist. So I did. I came up with the 11 questions and the, the, the premises you can pick you have to answer each of them with a Springsteen song and you only can use one song once. So like song okay. that made you fall in love with Bruce and great song to hear live. Can't both be Thunder Road, right? you got to. Right. So the reason I'm telling the story is um, they said great, I, great song to pick live. I said 10th Avenue freeze out. And I specifically mentioned the, you know, live in New York version. I mean, that's almost a concert <laughs> right yeah. there. Like, yeah. like that would be a, that would be a festival set list that yep. 20 minute, like if they were doing a festival, that would be it. And you get the whole experience about like, you know, with the band and the story. And, and so I, I totally could see how a young music lover would just like, I, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so when you started getting older into high school did you go through a stage of rebellion did you or just or billy joe and bruce have always been kind of in the back of your mind music you love even though as you explore other genres it's so funny i wouldn't call it a rebellion i kind of have two completely conf not conflicting because in in my mind they're very very complementary but very very different genres of music i grew up yeah. with and the other one would be uh, punk rock and emo music from the mid 2000s. Okay. I have no idea how many of your listeners are in my age group and would recognize Taking Back Sunday Saves the Day, Say Anything, Jack's Mannequin, Brand New, uh, bands like that. Um, and I would go to concerts every week. Um, there was a local club in Lancaster called the Chameleon Club um, that probably held, I don't know, 600, maybe 800 yeah. people and, and bands would come through on the circuit. And this was, um, during the Bush years. And it was all of this great punk rock rebellious music against Bush. I never, um, lost an interest in Springsteen. It was just Springsteen was like the thing that me and my dad do. Uh, yeah. and then I have all my high school buddies and my college buddies. We're all into the same music. We've all gone to tons of shows, warp tour, music festivals, stuff like that. Um, oftentimes I'll compare in my mind, like, oh, this, this doesn't, you know, hold a, hold a quarter to a Springsteen show. Sure. Um, it, it's, it's beyond comparison. And sometimes you wish there's a different band on stage, but um, I've gone to a lot of concerts and both of those genres of music are really, that's it. I mean, those are the two things I listen to 24 seven. You know, Evan, it's, it's funny because if you aren't careful, you can, you you have to at least in my mind separate it um for example you know um we went and saw james taylor my wife and i and we james taylor great singer songwriter you know classic music you know 
90 minute show. You know, and I'm like, and, and, and I realized that's, that is a good show standard, but you're like, and, and you knew, like, we've gone to, my son loves, um, he went to school in East Texas, so he got a flair for country music. So big Brad Paisley fan, right? And you go to this and you're like, it's the same set list every night. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's an hour and a half. Not even you know? that. It's an hour, and t- hour, just over an hour before the encore. And it's just like, right. you know, just get, getting warmed up. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, um, you know, and, I, and I've, I've been that where, you know, and the, the band will say, oh, we're going we're gonna to do something special for you tonight. And you know, they won't. Now, um, I shared this earlier in a previous podcast. Um, one year, Billy Joel had come to Dallas and it was around December. It was in the December timeframe. And he brought out like a music book and he did two or three uh, Christmas carols, you know. And I thought it was really cool because you could tell they had not really rehearsed. They were yeah. just grabbing it. And our, our friend, Andrea is like, I didn't pay 80 bucks to have Billy Joel sit there and do Oh Christmas Tree. Right. You know? right. <laughs> While I, on the other hand, was like, no, this is great. I love the spontaneity. So, so I think that's kind of cool. You've got two um, very different genres, uh, both, you know, near to your heart, but they kind of speak. Do, do you, do they think, do you think they speak to, different sides of your personality? I think, I mean, they call it emo music and people make fun of it. You know, people whining and complaining and stuff like that. But really in my mind, that's like Springsteen is such a big influential part. Uh, Andrew McMahon is, is the lead singer of this band. I love, well, something corporate and then Jack's Manic, and he's been in a bunch of bands, but he plays the piano and it's kind of a softer punk rock band. And uh, I've seen him cover I'm on fire in concert a couple of times doing his take on it like a a, just kind of like a piano led version i'm on fire is an emo song yeah (laughs) i I agree it's just the if you interpret the lyrics i mean maybe the the way that the music is performed is is different but it comes from just the same place in my mind it's like this music that uh, you know, a lot of the lyrics in some of the, the punk music I listen to are, are a little dark or they're a little depressing. And when people confront me with that, I always say that, like, hearing somebody articulate the way that I'm feeling is freeing. And um, a lot of really t- good emo punk rock bands do that. And Springsteen is the king of being able to do that. The way that he's able to articulate things you don't even know that you're feeling and the way that it's just, it's, it's, I think that's the thing that ties it together. That's, I guess what I look for in music because face it, 90% of the time you're listening to music, you're, it's, it's in earbuds or you're driving in your car. It's a personal experience. And so if it's something that I can relate to, then it's, it's the most enjoyable way to enjoy music. Yeah. I, I think that's a really insightful statement and it is true. You know, um, I think that it, we as Springsteen fans, you know, may overemphasize this, but I think it's true. He, he is very influential among a lot of genre, you know, and uh, tougher than the rest is a pretty much a country 
country music song, right? Mm -hmm. Highway Patrolman. If you hear Johnny Cash do Highway Patrolman, you go, okay, that was a Johnny Cash song that just Bruce happened to record. Um, so yeah, I think so. And, and I think that's, um, you know, when you think about, right, the, and I'm drawing a blank, the guy who wrote Dream Baby Dream, right? The, the story yeah. is he asked, you know, them to play the Bruce cover at his funeral. Um, so yeah, I think really well done. Um, I always like to preface this now. I saw your list before we hit record. So I know you've seen Bruce multiple times, but I always like to preface this, that the amount of times you've seen Bruce live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. Um, there's a lot of things that drive the amount of times, your age, your economic situation, where you live. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a 28 year old guy growing up in New Mexico, it gets going to be a little bit tougher than if you are a, you know, 50 year old guy, you know, in Jersey or a 65-year-old guy in Jersey. But for the record, have you counted how many shows you've gone to? I tried to count the best that I could. I keep ticket stubs. I looked at those. Um, yeah. And I, I came up, if you include, um, if you include everything. So I saw him on Broadway twice, and I saw him twice campaigning for Barack Obama. Okay. Yes. Three or four songs set. So if you include both of those, it was I came up with 28. Very nice. Yeah. Um, and I, I did tell you before we hit record, uh, my boss time, and I'll, I'll email you the link. Uh, it is a database where you can go in there and it shows every tour. You can pick the shows you've gone to and then behind the scenes, it does all the database and it'll tell you what song you've heard the most, what songs you've heard the least, what are, um, you know, tour premieres you've seen. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and for what it's worth, I would count the, um, the shows of, you know, of the campaigns as well. Um, the, you, you, so any concerts that stand out or any stories you want to share about some of the shows? I've, I have so many stories. Okay, I, uh, good. A, a lot of them will make me sound very cheap or. Um, okay. Nothing wrong with that. But most of them center around that, I guess. <laughs> two of them that are kind of around that same theme. I know that um, my parents, uh, when I was growing up, they had an advertising agency and they were able to parlay that occasionally into box seats to things with the okay. network bought ads with. I guess that's antiquated now, but okay. I was lucky enough to take advantage of that. So um, I'm, I'm looking at my list here to make sure that I get the right tour. I'm pretty sure that it was the working on a dream tour. He did it. He did a okay. stand, he did a stand uh, at a Wells Fargo center, whatever it was called 10 years ago. And uh, one night, the first night, my, my mother got the box seat, so we went. And it was, it was fantastic. And the next day, completely spur of the moment, my dad and I decided that we would just show up and buy from a scalper and get in. Okay. Which we did, uh, whatever, upper level, probably third to last row. But we had yeah. our tickets from the night before. Okay. So when you get into the arena there's the escalator that gets you up to the club level. And so once we were in the door, we put our thumbs on the date, we held the tickets up and they let us onto the suite level. And the only problem was we didn't really have a suite to go into. So we made up a backstory and we went into, I think it was the Comcast box, uh -huh. made up a story for why we were there. And um, unbeknownst to me that this is a common practice, they were handing out and you probably can't see it. We're on Zoom and on, okay. on my wall, there's a handwritten set list. They were handing out set lists in the box that we happened to choose before the show, uh, I guess because somebody was a friend of a friend or a family okay. of a friend. 
So this was just like the the greatest luxury of my life. I paid 40 bucks for a nosebleed five minutes before the show. And then I'm up in a box with free food, looking at the handwritten set list, knowing <laughs> who's going to play next. And now, I mean, it's, it's pretty common that you're able to, on your phone, be able to pull up yesterday's set and know exactly. But in 2009, I, I know I, I, it's not like the 1980s or anything, but this wasn't something that people did. So that was a really exciting experience. And then I guess similarly, and let me just get this one out. This no, 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 I'm loving this. Uh, at Hershey Park Stadium, they played, and I'm looking, and I'm pretty sure it was the High Hopes Tour. Yeah. Um, so it was the High Hopes Tour. We had Hershey Park tickets. We went to Hershey. Actually, first, we hid behind the bushes at Hershey Park Stadium to hear him do his set list. I have videos where I held my phone camera. Where he's doing the, the sound check, right? He's doing the sound check, and that was really cool. We didn't have tickets. We went to Hershey Park, my dad and I, and we decided we would. We had lawn chairs. We would just kind of sit in the parking lot and listen. So a few minutes before showtime, just for the heck of it, we decided to walk around and once again see what the scalpers were doing. And I don't know how to feel about this, but there was a kid – 14 maybe um who had two tickets very unusual it didn't seem like a kid that age would swindle us yeah. um and we asked him how much and he said twenty dollars and we said each and my dad takes out 40 he said no twenty dollars for both give it give him the 20 bucks instantly and we go in without even looking at the seats and they just keep bringing us up and up and up until we're in the pit. <laughs> so for 10 bucks a piece, we saw the High Hopes tour from the pit. Um, my dad's a huge, huge Springsteen fan. He's not wild about the pit. We usually try to get the lower level. Sure. So he was kind of chilling, leaning against the back of the barricade. And um, I decided to go on an adventure and kind of wiggle my way up. I, I remember seeing back streets from, I don't know, 10 rows up. I kind of pushed my way up for like a little half hour to see what it was like because I had never been in the pit before watched the end of the show with my dad and I'll I'll tell you that since that show I've been pit only <laughs> for all the shows I've gone myself um yeah so those are two of my favorite stories and those uh, are both great stories not really group related but no 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 it's the, the you know part of going to the show is the excitement and you know what's what I'm I'm sitting here listening and I'm 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 as you know, I'm, I'm worried like, oh my goodness, for only 20 bucks, they're, they're fake tickets. Oh, what are they going to happen? You know, I'm anxious for you now, but you go, eh, it's 20 bucks, you know? Okay. If it's bad, it's bad. Right. It's really, and the, I think that the, it's, it's a horrible way to put it, but I really think if you want to see Bruce and you got, and you have a little bit of money, you, you can get in. Um, I also had an experience. This is really bad. Um, I lived up in West Hartford, um, when I worked at ESPN for a couple of years and he played at Mohegan sun. Right. And I bought tickets off Craigslist and I had done Craigslist a bunch before with any, without any bad experiences. And it turned out that these were, were fake. They wouldn't let us in. Okay. And I was out 600 bucks. I, I was, I was standing in a casino out 600 bucks. I haven't even laid a bet yet. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. And I went up to like the ticket booth and I could hear the, the band playing. They, they opened with Van Halen's jump. I, I was hearing it from the ticket. Oh, booth. nice. And I told them my sob story and they said, Oh, we have tickets available. And I was, um, like, are you serious? And they said, yeah, you have to pay face value. But like Bruce always has tickets available until the concert starts. I had yeah. no idea. So I paid whatever, 150 bucks each. Yeah. 
to get into the, and it ended up being, you know, a couple rows behind the stage and I missed two songs. Uh, it cost me about a grand for tickets. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, But I got in and uh, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Yeah, you know, um, first off, it just irritates me and and I, that someone would do that right to another fan. Uh, but they're not true fans. They're just out this for money, but that's great. Um, I'm also smiling because, um, I was at the show for the NCAA tournament that was at Jerry world, you know, and they, Bruce played a festival and I was telling the story. He opened with jump. Yeah. You know, and so, and I think that, I guess, exactly. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, I want to get this off Bruce just for a minute. I want to get back to, or kind of talk a little bit about why did you always know you wanted to be a writer? And did you always know you wanted to write about sports? That was, I guess, I don't know, right place, right time, a little bit of talent. I don't know. In, in high school, I, uh, I'm, I'm five foot seven. I'm, I'm not the most athletic kid. Um, sure. all my buddies were, uh, were athletes. Um, my best friend was the, the quarterback, the center fielder and the point guard. Um, and all my friends were wrestlers and stuff like that. And so I guess to kind of hang around them and have a reason to go to the games, I volunteered to write about sports for a high school newspaper. And eventually I was able to edit it. Uh, I was the editor in chief and I used that to get like a partial scholarship at Temple to study journalism. And, okay. um, I wasn't dead set on doing that, but I was able to get an internship at the Gloucester County times. That's in South Jersey. Um, it's a, it's a daily newspaper. That's, it was a regional one. That's now part of NJ.com. I guess they all merged years ago, okay. but I showed up there with an internship and they basically said, Oh great. You're covering Gloucester Catholic versus Pittman baseball. Here's the address. And that was my first day. And I never covered an event and I didn't know how to keep score. I, I stopped at Walmart on the way to the game and got like a score book for baseball. And I just taught myself. I learned on the fly. I made notes on what interview questions to ask. I went back to the newsroom and I wrote a story completely cold um, off of that high school game. And I, I don't know. I just, I loved it. I was, I was hooked. That internship was life changing. Um, I did it for six months. And then this was in 2009. I was a junior in college. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies were good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they won the World Series in 08. And then in 09, um, they couldn't put me on uh, as, with a full-time gig at this job. So as a reward for, for uh, being an intern, they let me go cover a Phillies game for the first time. It was the Phillies versus the Cardinals. And I was in the press box. I was in the locker room. I wrote like three or four stories off of one baseball game because I was so excited. And it was just kind of, a, it was tantalizingly great. It was just a team. Sure. Um, and then not to talk too much about myself, I got a job out of college working for the Pennsylvania Democratic House Campaign Committee. That's the long way of saying that I was like the assistant speechwriter and researcher for uh, the Pennsylvania State House candidates running for office. In 2010, um, Democrats got their butts beat everywhere. Yep. And uh, I thought that would get me a job. It didn't. Um, So I was unemployed and my parents, and I know this sounds made up, my parents' house burnt down. Um, The house I grew up in, in October 2008, 
So I was unemployed living in a hotel room with my parents, sorry, 2010, living in a hotel room with my parents. And so I decided to apply for every single job that was available to get the heck out of my parents' house. Sure. I got hired at the New Britain Herald as a high school sports writer for $25,000 a year. I got a little one bedroom apartment um, that was $1,000 a month. I barely was able to make enough money to pay for food, but I needed to get the heck out of Dodge. And, uh, you know, I just kind of worked my way up and and made a little bit of a living there. And um, it was a really good home base in 2012 because in in my research, that's the year that I went to see Bruce at um, TD Bank at the TU Center in Albany, at the Prudential Center in Newark, at Gillette Stadium, at the XL Center, and twice at Citizens Bank Park. I came back to Philly. And I realized that being in Connecticut, I could get to Boston, I get to yeah, Albany, exactly. I, get to Jersey, yes. I get to New York. So that's like a great place to be for Springsteen. Um, and then luckily I was able um, in 2014 to come back to Philly and get a job doing what I was doing for a Philly publication. And I was able to get back close to my parents and my sister and everybody. And so that's, that's where I am now. That's neat. Um, so I, I want to go just a little bit. And I know we talked about, you said that you, you, you're used to doing sports uh, podcasts and you're excited about Bruce, but I can't let you be here without talking just a little bit. Just I'm fascinated, you know, March, everything shuts down. You're a sports writer and all of a sudden sports is dead. Like what, what, what were your thoughts about that? And, and, and how are your paper doing? Like when all of a sudden, you know, like the NBA shuts down and all of a sudden it's dominoes. Talk a little bit about that. That was a crazy day. I'm going to get the date wrong. It was March. I want to say 12, 13, 14. Yeah. Um, I was covering a Flyers game and I was at the Flyers game and it was the day before the, um, all of the NBA shut down before Rudy Gobert got it and everything went down. Yeah. So I was at the Flyers game and I didn't, nobody knew anything about the pandemic, about the virus. I I remember um, after the game is over, everybody goes into the big freight elevator. It goes down to to the underbelly of the stadium. You go into the locker room. And I remember getting into that elevator with 40 people like this around each other very close. And that's the minute I knew there's no way that we can keep doing sports because look how close I am to everybody. And I, I was counting down the days after that Flyers game to make sure I didn't have it because I was, I was scared. I was in an arena with 20,000 people. Um, so luckily I didn't get it and uh, everything shut down. And um, it, was, uh, it was an opportunity to do a different kind of work. We did a lot of uh, ranking of things, sure, a lot sure. of uh, uh, making brackets for things. Um, I was, instead of writing articles that took 30 minutes, I was doing six-hour research papers on the 10 worst trades in Philly sports history. Um, And luckily, with everybody being in the same shoes, uh, we were able to kind of retain our page views from having content like that. And I was able to keep my job. And it was a very weird situation for me because I knew that sports coming back wasn't safe and I was kind of of a moral like disposition that like if this happens this is bad but also like it's my livelihood I need them to come back so uh the bulb the NBA bubble was was helpful though the Sixers sucked pretty bad um I know the Mavericks had a fun little run but they didn't get very far either no but we did get at least we got Luca and and my son and I um you know he had uh 
he had and he had ended up moving in with us last summer and then he was just about ready to go get his own place and then the pandemic happened so you know he ended up moving out in september but we were both just so excited that it had been so many years since the Mavericks had been good. The Rangers are never good. The Cowboys are just never good. And so the idea that the Mavericks were on actual playoff and actually won a couple of games, you know, was uh, pretty exciting for us. And we were like, it's okay. We got balanced in the first round. At least it was competitive. So, um, yeah. Um, we, we were very disappointed that, uh, you know, uh, Texas had, you know, Globe Life Field, right? We we're going to have this brand new ballpark. We were all right. excited. And you ended up, I guess it's cool that the World Series was here, but it was just kind of sad that you, you didn't get to go enjoy this new ballpark. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different landscape. And, I, you know, at the Eagles-Cowboys game back on Sunday, um, 6,000 fans, it was, it was weird. It was very weird. I was going to ask you about that because, you know, um, good old Jerry Jones, of course, um, immediately said that people were going to go to the Death Star. And um, so he's, you know, and, and we have been sarcastic about, yes, the game sucks, but Jerry's going to be all happy that he's leading the league in attendance. Um, but um, it, it, it seemed weird, right? Like to have that few of people, especially a Sunday night game, um, all cliches aside, but when, when, when Dallas and Philly play, you know, forget the records. It truly is. These are yeah. two teams that have had great battles in the past. Yeah, it was, it was weird. I don't know what the operating cost is to have like one of those guys in, in the yellow outfit in every single section and have yeah. Is open and security people. I mean, with 6,000 fans, it's got to be almost a net wash. So from that standpoint, I don't know how much money. I mean, maybe they make money from selling beer or something. Well, you um, know, that's funny, Evan, because um, there have been a lot of bad Texas Ranger teams. And when Chris was younger, Chris is my son's name, um, he and I and my brother-in-law, his uncle, um, we three bought mini ticket plans, right? And so we three would go to, you know, like 10, 12 games for three or four seasons in a row. And there would be like a midsummer game where you'd go, there is hardly anyone here. And, and I, as a businessman, like, what is the nut they have to hit just right. for the cost of like, okay, they got to have ticket takers. They got to have people working the, the, the certain concession stands. You've got the ushers, all that before they've sold, you know, like one beer, one pretzel. Uh, and so I think I, I hadn't thought about that, but I imagine that's got to be crazy. Yeah, I'm with it. The only, um, another relevant thing in, in North Jersey, uh, one of the bands I mentioned, uh, Andrew McMahon, yeah. solo now he plays the music from all his other stuff they did uh one of those uh one of those drive-in concerts and right. um it was sorry i just got a slack message let me quit out of that That's um, okay. yeah it was one of those drive-in concerts where you sit in your car and it's every other parking spot and the stage is way the heck up there and there's video screens and 
it was really weird to be at something like this thinking like this is really the best I'm going to get for two years. And it's not really that fun. So, um, I, I was lucky enough a couple, about a month ago, um, Maureen Van Zant sat down with me and talked to me uh, via zoom. And she had talked about, she had attended a concert, um, that was a socially distanced concert that, you know, everyone had their own little, they had plexiglass between the seats. Yeah. I think and Johnny did a few of those in the Jersey yeah. area. I, I wasn't able to go. But. And she said it was, it was incredibly unsatisfying. Yeah. Because even though it's good to hear the music, you, you didn't have that sense of joy and that fellowship and everything. It wasn't a, a shared experience. It was right my wife and I and one of my best friends, like the three of us just kind of hanging out, listening to music, you know, it right. was, it's not a concert atmosphere. It's, it's depressing to think about. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I've got to ask you, um, and then we'll move back to Bruce. Um, thoughts on the Philly Dallas rivalry over the years. And were you covering Philly when they won the Super Bowl? Yeah, I was there in Minnesota. That was a really fun uh, opportunity. Was, that's that's exciting. It was like negative 10. You leave the stadium and then you're an icicle. That was <laughs> I've ever been in my life was, was leaving that game. But yeah, that was – and let me tell you, not to go off on a tangent, but – No, please. Uh, that's – I'm was, all about tangents. I was, I, was the, uh, I was the sports editor of Metro Philly, so I was at the Super Bowl and um, – we had a, it was a print, Philly Voice, where I am right now, we're just online, but Metro Philly was a print publication, so we had a, a deadline. So I had six articles simultaneously going. I had a game story if they won, a game story if they lost. I had a column if they won, a column if they lost. I had a, I don't even remember what the other ones were. So I would literally pick my head up, look at a play, and then put my head down and type until they yeah. snap the ball again. I gave myself a little 15-second, like, pause take it all in but it was the hardest i've ever worked in my life and i'm not complaining because covering no. the super bowl is incredible and yeah there were parties and stuff leading up to it that were really fun but that game was oh my god it was i probably wrote five thousand words <laughs> and yeah. only about two thousand of them even made it to print because the eagles i mean you i don't know if you remember it was the eagles patriots game that was a shootout that they won 41 to 33 yeah really could have gone either way. And those are the worst games when you're a sports writer. I mean, I, I, I like Philly winning. I grew up a Philly sports fan, but with sure. my job, you wrote for, you root for the easiest and quickest outcome. Yes. Yes. Really, really the, the Sunday night football at halftime, I, I didn't really know what the heck I was doing, but when the Eagles were able to break it open, I was like, all right, great. I can go to work. I don't have to wait for the end. Right. And then go home early. So those, those, that's what you like as a sports writer. I don't remember your initial question, so I'm sorry. No, 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 that's perfect. I was just talking about um, any thoughts about the the Dallas Philly rivalry over the years, and and you know the in, in from your perspective, because I will tell you, we are very frustrated with Jerry here in Dallas. Um, I it just and and I, and I know all the cliche about he loves the win. But it just appears, and my son is especially frustrated. He was born February of 89. He will quickly tell you, Evan, he was a Landry baby. He was born during the Landry era. Two weeks wow. after he was born, Landry yeah. got fired. Um, he has grown up watching the Cowboys, and he is now 31. He barely can remember. He was like, you know, four or five during the 
Aikman years. And all he can remember is just mediocre football. So just thoughts on just the rivalry, Jerry Jones, whatever you want, and then we'll get back to Bruce. I mean, not to like toe the political politically correct line here, but like there are two very tortured fan bases that are diehards and there's, they have a lot in common, Philly and, and Dallas fans. They really, really do. They do. Um, I think if you're in a fantasy league with a Cowboys fan or an Eagles fan, you can get really good value on players, not on those teams because those fans overvalue their players. They think they're better than they are. Um, I've really done my job. Uh, I started covering the Eagles in, in 2014. I, I've covered Carson Wentz and, and the Dak Prescott thing almost my whole career covering them. And that's like the most fun. I mean, I hate, I hated seeing Dak. I mean, they would have, they would have absolutely killed the Eagles <laughs> with Dak Prescott. Um, and and I, it's funny because I would not have admitted before this season that Dak was better. And now I think he is, but now he's hurt. Wentz is having a pretty bad season, but he's staying healthy. It's, it's crazy swings for this, these two quarterbacks and teams. My son was so – we all were, but Chris was especially – when Dak was hurt, he just was just heartbroken. And, and I also think um, – you know, and it's easy for me to spend someone else's money, right? But you're sitting there going – do you remember how many bad cowboy quarterbacks we went through before we stumbled on Romo and argue whatever you want about Romo, you know, he kept them competitive and now then you get another quarterback and like, well, we'll just franchise them. Like, no. Yeah. I, I really never understood what the apprehensiveness was because he's so talented and I don't know, just not having a question mark at quarterback. I mean, injuries aside, there's nothing you can yeah, do Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about that. You can be a lot better with everything else on your team because the quarterback's the most important thing, and you can kind of focus on everything else. So the Cowboys are kind of, in a way, depriving themselves of that security because they don't technically know who the long-term quarterback's going to be, which means that they they need an insurance plan, and obviously they don't have one. They didn't think that would get hurt like this but it's really difficult to kind of plan long term because um you want to be able to plan on you want to try to win the 2021 super bowl i mean you yeah they're not going to win this year so what can they do to get in a position for next year and technically they don't have their quarterback locked up for next year yeah it's very very crazy all right let's get back to bruce you wrote and this is how we found each other um you wrote a letter to you column so talk (laughs) to me about that I just was wild about the album. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if the music's better or maybe I've changed. Um, but Western stars really, really moved me. And like, I just could not stop listening to it. Uh, I don't know if everybody else is the same, but there's kind of like this honeymoon period with a new album where just like you listen to it nonstop. And then right. you get to the point where you're like, all right, I'm, I'm good. And it's in your rotation, um, but it's yes. not more than you listen to. And so, like, that period for, for Western Stars for me was just almost until now. I mean, I still haven't that, – that, the live version – I saw the movie in, in theaters, and, and then – So did that, I. There's the live version of it on Spotify. I haven't even listened to the album version because I love the spot that, that live version. And I feel like this is just as good, if not better. It's just un, unbelievable. Um, I guess when I was younger listening to classic Springsteen, I didn't have as much of a connection with it. And I know I'm younger and I'm not dealing with death of 
people of my age group and I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I don't have any kids yet or anything like that, but for some reason, it's just like hearing him get older and doing it in a way that's productive and inspiring. It kind of makes me more at ease with the fact that that's what my life is headed for. I know yeah. this is a, a little deep, but I guess to lead me to, to that, it's um, every now and then it's just like, you're there's something that you're not assigned and there's no reason for it to be written but you just have to get it out and that was something that I just kind of I, I woke up one morning and I think my wife was going to a girl's brunch and by the time she came back from brunch I had the whole column written and I just I don't know if anybody would read it but I just had to get my thoughts out there and I've never written an album I've written sports articles so instead of doing a professional look at what the music was I kind of broke it into categories of the best things about the album um, just because that's how I like to read things. Sure. Um, I'm proud of it. Yeah. You should be. And I really liked it a lot. Um, just to kind of give you a little feedback. I absolutely agree with you. I adored Western stars. I, I loved the film. Um, was so jealous of the people who got to be in the barn. Uh, you know, my wife was like reached over like, you, you really want to be one of those persons, don't you? And I'm like, yes. And then later, um, when they're showing the credits, they get a credit. And I'm like, no, they only, not only got to be on the show, but they got a credit. They're now an IMDB. They could say, um, so then, um, by the way, Springsteen in a movie theater, I I'm, I'm into it. It was, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so beautiful. And then, um, you know, you're, you're like, okay, gosh, you know, he's 69. You know, 68, 69, Western Stars comes out. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, wow. What is he doing? And now then, you know, he's 71 and Letter to You comes out and you go, oh, my goodness. Like, this is a solid album. And I was listening to a couple of the uh, None But the Brave podcast, you know, one of my podcast brothers, and they were talking about that they had a theory that if this album had come out right after born in the USA, it would have had massive hits because, you know, radio was different than it is now. Now, yeah. you know, and, um, I, I agree. It is an album filled with great songs. And, um, this weekend, my wife, who is not a huge Springsteen fan, um, you know, you take turns picking things to watch. And, um, and so I, I watched a lot of, uh, um, MSNBC with her, um, which I enjoyed. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the election too, but so to pay back, she's like, okay, well, you know, didn't there, isn't there a new Springsteen thing? And I, yeah, let's watch letter to you. And she came back and really enjoyed the film and liked all the songs. And, um, I think there is a university universality to the song. I, I do not think it is um, necessarily depressing. It is just kind of here's where I am now. And I do think that all the band members are realized that the road in front of them is shorter than the road behind them, but that doesn't necessarily mean this will be the last album ever. They, you know, I think they have a future in front of them, but they are kind of checking out where they are now. And I mentioned this in the column because I have all those DVDs, Blu-rays, whatever you want to call it, the born to run one, the darkness one, the river one. And everybody knows like how, 
insanely legendary his recording sessions were and like yeah. hearing his, what did they do it in four days yes he's he's so good he's so yeah. good now he's such a good songwriter it's like i can't compare what i do to him but like me covering an eagles game compared to five years ago it's it's automatic i i'm much yeah. better at doing it right now so just take something that requires a lot more talent like songwriting and then yes. make 40 years instead of five and it's just it's unbelievable he's just he's a machine his brain is trained to make music and that's what what the thing that stood out to me was it was just so he, he picked up songs from 1973 yes and like in theory i'm like uh, i don't know if that's a good idea him singing i'm t- 24 years old here's but i can't believe how they work it's so cool yes it's, it's and- incredible uh, and then you know I'm I'm watching the interaction of the band. Um, I love the idea that they and they didn't do. And I think this was Roy Bitten who said, "Let's not do beat the demo, right? Like you usually make demos, and then we have to come in and go, okay, do it better than this." But him just doing the song on his acoustic guitar, and I was fascinated watching them all on their pieces of paper, you know, not iPads, not, you know, just pads writing down and, you know, they're putting together all the pieces and you got to see a little bit of little Steven and, you know, um, the, the rumor, I mean, the, the legend is that Steven said the re he wasn't an actor, but the reason he knew he could do the Sopranos role is that Silvio to Tony was him to Bruce. That oh, it was that yeah. same relationship, right? So he's like, oh, I can play this guy. I know this guy. Yeah. And I do see that on the snippets where you see him talking about, I don't think you need the bridge. I think you can go right here or you can speed yeah. it up. Um, and all of them back and forth was just really a joy to see. And Steve's a great songwriter too. I just w- only once, but I did see, I did see little Steve in the, in the Disciples of Soul once. With yeah. all backup dancers and stuff and oh. so fun. We was. We went too. we saw it on the first tour and I had tickets when he was doing the second round. Um and he ended up getting sick and he ended up canceling the show. So I was really disappointed. We did get to see that where and once again, my wife is like, you know, I'm just watching the backup singers. She goes, that's a whole show in itself. <laughs> my wife did the same thing. Oh my God. That was hilarious. She would, we had so much fun. We were drinking a little bit, but she was trying to mimic the, the dance. Yes. It was, it was a blast. It was a blast. Absolutely. Um, so are there favorite songs or albums that you and your dad share, or maybe you that have helped you get through tough parts of your life? Probably the river. I was able to go to, I mean, I have so many Bruce memories. It's a talk for five hours, but going to the, um, going to the river album show with my dad was really, really cool. Um, Something about going to Springsteen shows with my dad is like, I don't know if other people can relate to this, but you know, uh, he, he's my father. But when we're, when Bruce comes on stage, we're both the same age. It's it's crazy. I look over at him and I see how overall an eighteen year old, a twenty two year old. He's he's singing. He's he's you know giving into his yeah. inhibitions. He's smiling. He's standing. We're the same age. He's just like 
he's he's uh, he's young again or i'm old as well i don't know what it is but it's just like when it, just singing along um i'm trying to think what's what's the bridge yes i would baby yes i would darling yeah uh that i just have so many memories of that bridge just like looking at him in the eye we're both singing it as loud as we could like with beaming smiles on our faces because like this is what we listened to in the car driving to Long sure. Island when I was 12. Yeah. And like, here we are like seeing it live, nothing between us but air. And he's, he's an 18 year old kid again. And that's like, I don't know, it's a really special moment. I hope a lot of other Springsteen fans have it with their dad or their mom or their kids because it's just so unifying and special. Yeah. Um, Chris has gone to two shows. He went to the first one in Oklahoma city. He had never gone to a show. The only reason he went is like, Hey, this will be a good, you know, uh, you know, father son trip, you know, I'll, I'll go. And, you know, it was during the river tour, you know, the, where they were doing the whole album and um, on the way home. And, and I actually, I, I hit recording on my phone and we talked like for 30, 40 minutes in the car driving. And, you know, we kind of recorded an episode and he shared some interesting points. And one of them he said is that, that the Cowboys should sign Kevin, the uh, Bruce's technician, because Bruce is throwing the guitar and he never misses. He's like, the Cowboys could use receivers like that, dad. Um, The other thing he said is you've got, you, you cannot play. He said, because the moment Bruce finishes a song, Dad, he's immediately on the next one. There's no time to take a drink. There's no time to take a breath. It's like, if you don't know what the F you're doing, you're going to be screwed, Dad. This guy is saying. So uh, we got a chance to go up to New York to see him uh, after Europe and came back. And he and I got to see him. And so we got to see it there at, um, you know, Met. At Life Stadium, so you I'll know, get one of those shows. Yeah, we were at the second one. So, yeah, and um, you know, and we uh, we we enjoyed that. So, yes, there is that bond. I what I was thinking of is um, Independence Day with you and your dad. Now, it sounds yeah. like you and your dad always I, bonded. I but, never heard that song. First of all, hearing any of the albums played live completely changes them. It's indescribable. But yeah, that that song actually got me choked up looking at how intently he was listening to that song. Because I really never, I mean, I knew what the song was about, but I didn't really hear it until I was literally hearing it in the middle of the album with my dad next to me at a Springsteen show. And it really hits you. Um, Evan, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, because Evan, I will. I'm exactly the same story. I didn't have my dad with me, but I I, I knew the song, and I was like, "Yeah, it's okay." And then when he talked about, and you realize that at this point he's in his middle sixties, and he's probably older than his father was when Bruce wrote it. In other words, he wrote the song from the perspective of the young man. And now that he's singing it from the father perspective really spoke to me. And it is one of the highlights of seeing that live. That's great. Um, Any other songs maybe that come to mind or favorite albums? You already shared how much you love Western stars, but I love, uh, I just, I, I've seen him so much and I'm not, 
when he plays Thunder Road and Born to Run and and the hits Hungry Heart, I'm not like turned off, but it's, yeah. I'm not as enthused as I am to hear a, a Backstreets or a Fade Away mm-hmm. or um, uh, there's just so the the. I guess the B-sides are our songs. I really, really like the second half of The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. Sure. Um, any song that's over six or seven minutes is probably my jam. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that is, but it's just like, I don't know. Just they're different. They're unique. Uh, so you, you've seen them a lot of times, but let's. we hope there's going to be a tour again. Are there songs you haven't heard live that you would like to hear that are on your checklist? I don't know. I've been very, very fortunate. Okay. I saw him do Born to Run. I saw him do Darkness. I saw him do The River. I saw him do Born in the USA. Um, Okay. I would want to see the new, the last two albums um, very much live. Uh, And then all of the songs that are really rare that, he sometimes whips out on tour. I remember my favorite Springsteen show that I was ever at. My best experience was the second day at Citizens Bank Park. I was in the pit. That was the four hours and two minutes show. Okay. On that tour, he opened with with uh, uh, New York City Serenade. Right. Which was the weirdest opener ever, but it worked. And um, I, I remember looking at my phone and it was almost an hour and 45 minutes before he played a song that was written after 1975. Yeah. It's weird for me who at the time was in my late twenties to like be excited about that. But like, there's just, it was just really, really cool. Um, I, I like it when something, cause I'm, I'm sure people who listen to this are set list studiers and yeah. you know, the general structure, you know, there's a spot where like two of three songs could be thrown in. Um, but that's why I always like to go to night two or leg two because yes. he'll get to a point where he throws out the set list and anything can happen. And you cannot describe that to a non Springsteen fan who goes to concerts because there's nobody else that does it. I know Pearl Jam mixes it up. Sometimes there are some bands that yeah. will mix it up. I've seen emo bands that I love play, um, play album shows, right. but it's just like, there's nothing off limits um there's nothing there's songs from from the tracks albums yeah from all those b-side whatever you call them the unreleased songs like that's yeah. the stuff that, that i absolutely live for uh i'm bad on the spot i could give you 10 no songs. no 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 and that's and the I, general I, 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 song um you know it's that's where the name of the podcast came from you know because yeah. because people came to me and i've been asked plenty of times like set lusting like does this mean you have sexual feelings for bruce oh no i got it immediately yeah and and i guess i knew fans do fans immediately get you know because as you're following social media and you go oh my goodness i can't believe i'm not at that show when he's playing this song you know so that's great um what have i not asked you that i should have asked evan you did a pretty good job. I probably talked your ear off. It's no, just, you were great. You were wonderful. Fun to talk, Bruce. I am so used to talk, answering the same questions about sports. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Okay, so if you can't think of anything I forgot, um, then we got to ask you the Mary question. So, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher in the Philly area, and every year he takes two days of the school year 
and his honors English teacher, honors English class, his seniors, they study Thunder Road as a poem. They go through all the different lyrics. They talk about the imagery that's in the poem. Um, they compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. Um, and they talk about the themes. And then at the end of the two days, he looks at the class and says, does Mary get in the car? So, Evan, that is your question. At the end of Thunder Road, does Mary get in the car? What's the exact line? Isn't, doesn't he say, like, see Mary climb in before he says it's a town full of losers? What's the exact wording? Because I'm, 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 I'm going to need to see the phrasing. I, I thought that it was a given that she gets in the car because they're pulling out of here to win. And then I always thought the outro of the song was kind of them getting onto the on-ramp and driving away. That's what I thought that the reprise was, and then Clarence comes in. So I thought that was them driving. But maybe I heard the lyrics wrong, or I'm thinking of it. No, no, no. So according to um, – this is the lyrics that I believe are on the record, uh, though I'm pulling it from the internet. Um, you know, uh, they scream your name at night in the street. Your graduation gown lies in rags at your, their feet. And in the lonely cool before dawn, you hear their engines roaring on. And when you get to the porch, they're gone on the wind. So Mary, climb in. It's a town full of losers. And I'm pulling out of here to win. Now, That's when so he funny. I, I don't look at lyric books. And yeah. I mean, I think I've shown I'm a, I'm a pretty knowledgeable Springsteen fan. I yeah. swear to God, I thought it was see Mary climb in. And that has informed my interpretation of it. So, and often <laughs> when he performs it live, he says, we're pulling out of here to win. Right. Um, so um, your answer is, yes, she gets in the car. I think that the musical reprise at the end, that coda, whatever you want to call it, I think that that is meant to be them driving. Okay. I, I really do. I think that that's, I mean, there's something about those, the, uh, I don't know if you want to call them bridges or musical interludes, but like when, when the band comes in and plays, it always speaks to me just as much as the lyrics do. And I really think that that's, it just sounds like you're going down the highway. It really does to me. So that's, that's my answer. I thought, and, cause you sent me a little rundown before this, the Mary question, and I wasn't um, familiar with it. I'm thinking, okay, so, there's Thunder Road. There's Meet Me at Mary's Place. I was trying to think of all the different Marys. Yeah. And I thought you were going to ask me, are they the same Mary? Um, but but I, I realized that that's what this was the question was. So <laughs> That's okay. Uh, do you want to answer, are they all the same Mary? I'll, I'll take your answer. Yeah, I, th I, I think he wouldn't. He wouldn't. It's not the best name in the world. I don't think he yeah. used it over and over again. All right. So um, I did want to tell you a story that, um, and gosh, I can't remember who it is now, but one guy answer was very similar to use uh, your answer. He said, it depends when it's the full band and they, <laughs> the music plays off. She gets yeah. in the car because that music is them driving away. Yeah. But Bruce is by himself and he does the very, Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's him driving off by himself. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, that's that's valid. That's that's funny. That's funny. I just I love that. Yes, that is great. Yeah, um, I I did a um, you know obviously I ask this every podcast and I actually um, earlier this year I took about thirty or forty answers 
splice them all together and then send it to Jay who gave me the original question. And then he spent an hour talking about everyone's answers. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, Evan, this is great. I, I just, I hope you've had fun. I have just loved talking a little bit of sports, a little bit of Bruce. I'm so glad that you wrote the letter to you column and that you responded to my tweet. I just appreciate you so much. If someone wants to reach you, how can they? Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Evan underscore Macy, uh, Macy spelled like the department store. Uh, I've tried to get a discount there and it doesn't work. <laughs> um, and uh, also I write at pretty much every single day at phillyvoice.com. Uh, if you're an Eagles fan, um, if not, we still cover all the major sports and, Maybe I'll think of more Springsteen columns to write. Who knows? Good deal. So Eagles will win the East? I Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just by – want them to because uh, uh, if they finish the season with six wins and they don't make the playoffs, that's a top ten draft pick. And if they make the playoffs with the, with the six, nine, and one record, that's the 19th pick. And you're not going to win a playoff round. You're not going to win a Super Bowl. I think they got to think long term, but – I think they're probably going to win. Yeah, I, I think that tie is going to end up helping them more than you thought it would. Um, and um, I, I I know that as a Cowboy fan, I should want them to, like, win the division to show something. But when it's this bad of a season, you're just like, okay, let's just play a lot of young people. Let's see what you can do. And then just try to re-rack. So either way, it's going to be fun. Um, please stay safe and yeah, take care too. of yourself. Uh, hopefully we can meet at a show sometime. Uh, that would be good. Uh, mind if he tours again, I'll, uh, I'll do post game. I go to a lot of them. <laughs> that sounds good. And I don't know. Uh, do you, do you ever go down to Dallas for like a, the game went back in, when oh, things oh, are oh. normal? Um, we have a, I'm actually not the primary Eagles writer. Okay. So the second guy that goes. So I go to all the home games. And okay. Games. Um, but uh, my wife's from Houston, so I'm there often. Okay. Well, um, if we ever figure it out, we'll, we'll meet for a, a, a beverage or two. So thank you, sir. Hang tight. Listeners, you be safe. Remember to social distance, wash your hands, wear an effing mask, take care of yourselves because you know we need to be good to each other. But for now, take care and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at SetLustingBruce, and my personal Twitter is at DFW. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music. 
because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.